Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Hello and welcome to The Last Wicket, a cricket podcast for when you want to distract yourself from everything else that is going on around the world. I'm your host, Benny, and I'm very excited to present our guest for this week, former Sussex bowler Lewis Hatchett. Now, Lewis only played professional cricket for six years before retiring at the age of 26, but his story is one of perseverance, resilience, and single-minded drive. Having been born with a medical condition called Poland Syndrome, the odds were always against Lewis from the time he decided to get into cricket. But not only did he push through to rub shoulders with the best in county cricket, he has also since gone on to use his experiences to help other athletes realize their true potential and find their inner purpose through the concepts of mindfulness, yoga, and meditation. So stay tuned for our fascinating conversation. The more I think about it, the more I think uh, how extraordinary it was. He did have to work a lot harder because obviously to have his condition and play professional sport, that's phenomenal. What he did have was um, this incredible drive to improve himself um, on his physicality and his skill didn't treat him any differently, I didn't know any different, so... And then he was one of those guys that was just always there when I opened up in the morning. Lewis would be there training. When I closed up at night, I had to boot him out. Uh, but he was still had this single-minded determination to want to be a professional cricketer. So I said, Lewis, if, you know, if you want to do this, you're going to have to do this yourself and be persistent. My name is Lewis Hatchett, and this is my story. Hello, Lewis. Welcome to The Last Wicket. Thank you for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. So we are very excited uh, to talk with you. Uh, well, in this case, it's just me today. But, uh, you know, especially since I came across your story and, you know, heard about all that you've been through and what you've been up to uh, these days, you know, I, I've been wanting to talk with you. Um, you know, like I mentioned before we started rolling, uh, I've I considered myself to very religiously read through Crick Info's updates, and I've been doing so for years. And I kind of vaguely remember uh, reading about your retirement like many, many years ago, but it didn't really click in my head till I, till I came across your, your profile recently. Uh, so, so let's get into it. Um, you know, Poland syndrome, you know, it's mm. something that I've only read about in medical textbooks <laughs> and mm. I've never actually met anyone who's been diagnosed with that uh, for, for the benefit of those who are not familiar with it. Uh, can you tell us what Poland syndrome is and how that shaped your childhood? Yeah, sure. Well, congratulations on finding a textbook where you were at least delving into the knowledge of it for starters. That's uh, there's not many people that do that. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, look, Poland syndrome is a pretty rare condition. So it's one in a hundred thousand have it. It's, it's twice more common in men, or three times more common in men than it is in women. 
and it manifests itself differently in how it comes about. There's no known cause for how it happened. So there was nothing that my mother, my father were doing in, in sort of pregnancy and pre-pregnancy or, um, or anything that happened. It is, there's still really no masses of research as to why it happens. It's just very random. It's just a random thing that happens. Right. Uh, and funny enough, I have a younger brother. He's just one year younger than me, totally normal body. Uh, but for me, it means that I am missing my right pectoral muscle and two ribs that are behind it. So really the only thing that's protecting my upper right portion of my lung is, is just skin, really. So there's quite a big gap there in, in essentially. And, and obviously move fast forwarding a little bit. If you think of a cricket ball moving at 90 miles an hour, I'm mm -hmm. left handed. So it's on my right side, this, this missing area. So that's facing the batsman. Um, so if I was to get struck on it, it's anything from slightly winded depending on where it hits me to actually being a fatal injury that could puncture a lung and deflate lung um so literally from the day i was born my the the day of delivery it was this is actually really fortunate to think about it because there's not there was very little information around of the condition but the doctor that delivered me took one look at me and just went oh he's got Poland syndrome and parents being parents like asking what the hell's that like dad straight away asking like is he going to be able to play any sport um, and the, the answer they gave was, well, no, he won't be able to play sports like rugby and he won't be able to play sport like cricket. So that was really interesting from day one. Um, right. But again, very fortunate that that doctor knew what the condition was because it wasn't until I was, wow, I was actually a pro and I was probably around about 22. So again, we're talking 22 years later where I came across another doctor that knew what my condition was other than my GP that had seen me regularly. This, and a doctor that looked and went, oh, have you got Poland syndrome? That was, that was the next time I saw someone. And I, and I had many medical professionals and many run-ins with medical professionals from my childhood of just like injuries, physios, like all sorts, uh, scans, x-rays, you name it. And no one picked it up. No one knew what it was um, because there's obviously everyone's a specialist in their own field. But yeah, so that just growing up, my parents were told that and that was sort of the the story that they were given to begin with. He won't be able to play any sport. He won't be able to play cricket. But as I grew up, like I mentioned, I've got my younger brother, Brad, who's only a year younger. And if anyone has a younger sibling, all you want to do is compete with them. You know, all your people probably relate to that. All you want to do is yeah. beat them at everything. So we're wrestling for all sorts at home. We're fighting, we're but we're, we're then playing sports. We're kicking a football round. I got into golf at a very early age. And then one day, just in the garden, my, my granddad throws a cricket ball and bat to us or gives us one. And that was it. We started playing cricket. Parents sort of didn't really bat an eyelid. They just carried on allowing me to doing it and just let me crack on. So that grew and grew. And dad would then take us to local football matches, local cricket matches, for like professional games. And I had this love for sport, I think, through the natural competition that I had through my brother. Right. And as that grew and grew, then one day a um, a moment happened where I wanted to become a professional cricketer. I just told my parents. And, and funnily enough, it was Jason Gillespie who was the person that triggered this. And I actually did a podcast with Jason Gillespie on my podcast. And I start that podcast telling him this story, which was that we were... So my mum's one of my mum's best friends is from Barbados. Now, very fortunately, we would go and visit them. And I learned a lot of my cricket on the beaches of Barbados and oh, I just played okay. with Brad on the beach. We would, we would see a, a men's beach game going on and we would literally just go and tug on their shorts and be like, can we come <laughs> and play? And they'd let us play. We'd be in the sea. We'd be doing all this, having this, this fun time. And we would, I remember it very clearly. We were at this beach and West Indies, I was a West Indies fan before I was an England fan. So I was, <laughs> I was supporting the West Indies essentially in Barbados when Australia were touring. And I remember being at this beach and it was right next to where they were staying. And like Matthew Hayden runs into the water. Gilchrist runs into the water. Brett Lee's run into the water. And then like Jason Gillespie had run in. But we carried on playing our game of beach cricket. They were doing some sort of recovery session. And I, I then, we then go to this restaurant where we're just having some food. And I see him from across the, the room and I see him sitting at the table. And like apparently then and there, I just went, bang, I want to be a freshman. I want to be like him. I just want to be a professional cricketer. And like that was the crystallizing moment for me. So came back home and then it was all about how do we get there? How do I try to achieve this dream and put into place sort of like the next step. So for me, it was trying to get onto the 
the representative side of my home county, Sussex, and fighting my way through a trial process. And I remember turning up to that trial and being the worst cricketer there. Like I was no good (laughs) compared to these. These these were kids that were coming from private schools. They were getting some of the best coaching and and I was nowhere near this. My school didn't have cricket, so I didn't learn cricket at school. I had like secondhand kit and was just way behind in terms of where they were at. But I remember being in that room and seeing like 100 odd kids that were trialing for these 15 spots and and I thought okay I can't beat them on I can't beat them on how good they are as cricketers but the thing I can do is I can show the coaches that I want to get better I can show them how good I want to be so I would just ask questions to these coaches all the time I just nag them daily and, and regularly and I know now I would have annoyed them but I was at least showing them I was willing to get better I just wanted to get better and then when they announced the squads I was literally the last name on that squad list I'd I'd managed to like scrape my way in but even at that representative level I didn't get much of an opportunity I didn't make it at at the top in in that sort of team I was about 14 15 years old and I just wasn't getting opportunities so dad said right you need to stand out you need to go and find a way to stand out from the crowd and the only way you can do that is if you go and ask the professional squad. So the Sussex pro team, go, here's the phone, here's a number, call up the pro squad and ask if you can go and practice with them tomorrow. Because you're not getting a go in your youth age group, go and show them something else. I was like, you're a madman. And I remember being in like this, <laughs> this room in their house where I was in their bedroom, actually, like just sweating and ter- rehearsing my lines of what I would say to him on the phone and terrified and just terrified of coming out of the room waiting for my dad to give an answer because I was like, I'm a terrible liar. I can't even lie that I've done this. <laughs> so I'd punch in the number, call up the coach and be like, can I come and train with you tomorrow? And they'd be like, no, <laughs> it's <a> flat no. <laughs> uh, so next day, dad gives me the phone, same routine, call them up, get a no. And then day, we just go through this routine over and over. And it was, it was terrifying. And if, if someone didn't pick it up, someone else would. Or, right. or, or if, if someone didn't pick it up, he'd give me another number. Um, and I just remember going through that process so much and just being like, not again, not again. And, but I carried on. I just persisted with it until one day they said, yep, someone's injured and someone's not, not available. Come in and help out, like carry drinks. And so I'm there in the changing room with all these guys. I was trying to get autographs off the night before stuck to the wall through sheer fear and trying to help them out at training. But ultimately I was in that process. I was in there because I was trying to learn off the best. I was just trying to see what the best did. How do they do this? How do they train? How do they move? What do they eat? What do they say? How how does this whole thing work? And I was, again, like I said, I was no good, but I did that for, because I did it once I got in my foot through the door, they actually allowed me to keep coming back. And I was just helping out, helping out. And one day my, my back went and I, I couldn't walk. I couldn't bend over. I was in pain and it turned out I'd fractured, fractured my back. And that was the um, that was the first time my body had failed me, and I, I then spent the next two years rehabbing my back back to full fitness, and I, I worked as hard as I possibly could in order to get myself back to full fitness, to give myself an opportunity. I saw everyone that I was trying to chase into becoming a pro go off and start to sign pro contracts, and I was stuck in a, a, a corset that was holding my spine in in place um, to let it heal. And having to do all this fraction, but I made a commitment there that I my body had failed me, and I didn't want it to do that ever again. And I wanted to be the known as one of the fittest players in that squad because if they couldn't, if they weren't going to select me on cricket, I could accept that, but I couldn't accept them using my body against me and saying that my right. body wasn't good enough and, and my physicality wasn't good enough. So that was a, a very tough moment in my my life because I nearly lost cricket. Nearly, I spent two years not playing it, so two years no one seeing me. And, um, and that's when I really started putting in some hard yards. You know, um, now that you mention it, I, I remember watching your video on YouTube, um, Conquering Talent, and yeah. uh, which is very inspirational, by the way. Uh, you feature, uh, you know, your, your parents and your brother, uh, you know, they're talking about, uh, you know, they're talking about your story and the, the things that they did to help you or support you. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about, because obviously it seems like, you know, your family, including your, your grandfather played such a huge role uh, in kind of shaping your love for the game and, you know, getting you hooked on it and, 
that seems to have been a massive influence. Uh, can you t- talk to us more about uh, just your family's role in it? Because you know it's so important to have a strong support st- structure uh, when you're going through professional sports or trying to get into it. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, um, it's a really interesting topic parenting and 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 sports people especially young sports people so I think I didn't obviously like anything you don't actually recognize the sacrifice that they've made until you have these reflective moments in the in the future right and for me I think I see it now or I see what it took and what it probably allowed because in the moment it wasn't it wasn't anything abnormal for us. It was just what we were doing. And I wasn't really conscious enough to, um, not to say that I wasn't grateful, not to say that, but I just was doing my thing. I was so solely focused on getting where I wanted to go that I, I almost was just, I can't even remember moments where I was thinking about much else. And the lifestyle that we had around it, so sacrificing holidays or, or, or spending time with family, having certain get-togethers or me going out with my friends and doing things with my brother everything that we did around our lives um was built around me playing cricket both Mm -hmm. and it helped because my brother was playing cricket as well like he he actually made it into a county setup he's a very good cricketer like if i'm brutally honest he he's definitely a better (laughs) cricketer than me i think he he made that claim i'm pretty sure he made that claim in the video (laughs) he did yeah so we won't go too much into it but like he he was definitely a good enough creator, but we, that's, that in itself is a good story and a good analogy, like of the difference between actually having out and out ability and and drive to get there. I had the drive, he had the ability, drive one, and that was ultimately our story. But from a family and a broader perspective, I didn't really see all of the sacrifices that were gone until, like a good example is a young a young county player that I'm working with. Um, and I've done it with other players in the past at the representative level. And even from a coach and even from sort of being around coaching setups at representative level, um, this guy, this kid that he was out in Australia and he wanted to represent the state. Okay. So he wanted to be in a state team and he's got game after game coming up. And even in Australia, they don't play that much. They don't play many games at, at a young age. It's just, they're very sparse. So he knew that there was a game coming up that was really valuable but like he chose to go on holiday with his parents and go away. Now you could say like, he doesn't really have a say in the matter. Like his parents are going to take him no matter what. So there's a couple of things that's happened there is one that there's either been a breakdown in sort of communication in how much his dream really means to his, to him, to his parents, right. or he's not communicated how much he wants it. And also there's also not been a sort of plan B put in place as to, can we move this trip? somewhere some other part of, of the year so for example my parents would move everything to out of the summer summer we knew we were going to be in england for sure now if we were going to go away or go visit friends or do anything that was where they would get their respite my parents respite from all the hard work that they're doing working and and building their businesses and, and they would wait until i was we were done in that summer and i see these kids then where their parents take them away and they lose like three to four weeks depending on how long they'd gone away on that moment where that could have been a game where you had an opportunity to show someone else what you can do. That could have been a game where you actually, you actually did, you hit that mark that you've been striving for, but now you're back. You're like, or if you look at it the other way, you've given someone else the opportunity. That was the one thing I never wanted to do was give someone else an opportunity um, to, to show what, they could do over me that sounds very selfish but if you do genuinely want to make it to the top you have to have that sort of selfish drive and that's that's really how we looked at it but luckily my parents were were driven in in allowing it to be the thing that we all wanted essentially they, they would never let me do anything that I didn't want to do they would um they wouldn't force me I was never forced into any sort of sporting event or anything like that I did it because I enjoyed it and I did it because, yeah, we genuinely wanted to. Like I said, it really did help that my brother was there alongside me. Like he played in many games that I played in as a youngster. We now, now as grown men, we're playing in the same team together on a Saturday. So we we still play the game together at, at a good high level. So 
yeah that it i think it's so individual but if there's any bit of advice that i can give out of this sort of topic it would genuinely be around make sure that that the families the whole family is on board they get it and you're almost mapping for what it's going to take to get there and that's what we did we really uh, if we're really honest about it we, we almost mapped right okay april till september no one book anything because this is cricket like this is cricket season there's going to be a chunk of cricket in there there's a huge opportunity let's go 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 like this is six months after we can rest recuperate do whatever we want but here's the six months is untouchable um it's literally your time to to shine and it's it's the time that you've been training for but it's a fine line isn't it because i've heard you know from the other perspective especially i don't know how applicable this might be in a country like england but in india there is just so much competition at the youth level mm. uh to make it big and the pressure comes from the parents because now mm. with the advent of the IPL and all the big money T20 leagues more than representing the national team it's about getting your name up there that you can you know you can be a big attraction for you know all these talent scouts uh when they're looking for players for their teams and it gets to the point where is just so much pressure on young cricketers like when i say young i'm talking about kids in their teens and you know i've read about you know interviews with former players where they talk about like the mental stress uh that it causes for people for for these youngsters who are who are still in their teens the pressure that the expectation to do well to practice every day to score runs to take wickets consistently because if you don't someone else is going to take your place how, how do you even balance that or how do you in your you know when you advise or counsel young cricketers how do you teach them to balance that pressure or that expectations so th- this is such a huge subject and i'm really glad you brought it up um and it is literally killing athletes all around the world it is the thing that expectation is is killing them because mm-hmm. and in the world in general because we're creating this pressure and pressure we feel pressure through trying to control something that we cannot control so the focus of the individual will be on something that they cannot control and the expectation there, there has to be a clear distinction between the expectations and goals that they're trying to set so there has to be a clear difference now we can have goals and dreams and we can shoot for them and dream big go for them but there's there's no guarantee that you can reach those goals okay so there's because there's so many elements within those goals that are uncontrollable but the things that we can genuinely control and there's two that we really can control that's how hard we train and our mindset like those are, those are the only two things that we we can control i can control how much i train in in training and how much effort i put in and that is then something that i can expect of myself and then i can also control my mindset and how i show up what is the intention i put out there into my training how am i going into my tra- what how am i thinking those are the things that we can control i cannot control what you think of me i cannot control what my parents think of me i cannot control my parents expectations of me and the only things that you can control or the expectations you can have of yourself or how you view yourself and then how hard you work so right. that's really where you can only put your focus and your energy and that when we feel this pressure it's because we've moved our attention away from those things that we're trying to control that we can control so it might be someone else's result it might be someone else has got into a team and I didn't it might be my parents have told me that I should get 100 I should be going into a game getting 100 this game you can dream to get 100 you can hope to get 100 but you cannot control it until you focus on the present moment and focusing on the one thing which is every ball every shot that you're playing you can be there and that's some of the work that I've been doing recently with international cricketer we we have been focusing on so a lot of work I do is around using mindfulness to be in the moment right. and to build your mindset through mindfulness and we it's amazing he he did some he, he played a game recently and did really well in one of the raw london uh games over here in uh, the 50 over competition over here and we'd literally just done a session on breathing and also looking at where his mind was during a game and focusing on purely using breathing and a very present breathing technique to drown out and say drown out but to 
to refocus the mind on the present moment, which is recognizing when you're thinking about something that again you can't control. So if you're a bat in this context, it's batting, and he was thinking about, oh, it would be nice to get 50 or 100 today. Like that's right. something you can't control. You're already in the future. You you've you've gone away from this guy who's rocketing a ball towards you, trying to end your day, and you're focusing on how your day's ending. So the breathing technique just brings him back to the present moment, just allows him to reset and then go back to the process, which he can control. So you can genuinely control that process and do that over and over again and just continue that process. Every time you get distracted, every time that moment happens, you reset, you come back. And then he goes and gets a score where he wins in the game. And he texts me after the game saying that really worked. Like, and then we had a follow-up session where I said, where was your mind at? He said, well, it was the first time I'd ever had a, a hit where, I wasn't thinking about the result. I wasn't thinking about the outcome. Even when I've been at my best, I've always had this thought in my mind where oh, it would be nice to get this score. It would be nice to have the interview at the end of the game. But he said, right. in this time, I was just so focused on the process, so focused on the present moment that I got to 50 and I didn't even know how I got there. And that was just such a beautiful moment in recognizing that he took control of everything that he could control. And, and even in the way he's describing it, it's, there's no pressure. There's no pressure in that moment. Isn't, isn't that what, you know, players talk about getting into the zone, you know, where mm. everything else is background, you know, not even background noise. They just don't feel it. They don't hear it. They're just in the moment where it's just, if they're batting, it's just them versus the ball, not even the bowler. Um, and if they're a bowler in good rhythm or in the zone, it's just everything. It's the run up is smooth. The action is smooth. The ball is going where exactly you want it to go. Um, and, you know, a lot of players talk about like how that doesn't always happen. And it sounds like that's a lot of that is just getting into that zone more effortlessly. So you don't get into the zone every time. So there's right. games where you do not get in. There's days where you are so away from the zone that it's scary but you're on the field and then that creates anxiety. Mm. So that's a really stressful place for a lot of athletes to be. So through the practices that I teach and I work on and I've done myself, it, a, 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 getting in the zone is essentially another phrase for a flow state. Now, if you do any research on flow states or if you do any look up, looking up of flow states, they are these, these states in which very creative people get into and you can call sport creative because it is a creative expression. And they get into these creative flows where you are, you're, you're literally at your best. You're almost untouchable. But the funny thing is, is that all of the interviews that are given after the moment of when it happened is they're very, on the reflection is like, they almost don't know how they did it. It's like, I was on autopilot. I don't know how I did it. Right. So what things like mindfulness meditation do, which get you into the present moment is because in those flow states, you are so engaged in a task you are not focused on anything that's happened in the past or nor are you focusing on anything that's going to happen in the future. You are perfectly present in what you're doing. And that's what mindfulness does. That's what meditation teaches you. It's a skill that you have to work on. It's a skill that you have to continuously work on. And by doing that, you strengthen your ability to get into the zone. So it's the right. same way you, pr you practice anything else in your life, the same way you would practice running a sprint, running a marathon. Like you don't, you go out, you, you teach your body to be able to be capable of doing that more often than not. And you have to harness over a period of time and, and shape and mold and adapt your body into being able to perform that skill. So it's the right. same when it comes to the mind. The more you practice it, the more you actually get into a present state and you get into a totally focused state, then the more more often the chances are that you will get there. Now, it's this, again, like again, if we use like a sprinter or a marathon runner, you can train your body perfectly, but sometimes on the day, it's just not there and sometimes a bit off. And that's where you might need to use a little bit more mental energy, like grit, determination to, to just pedal that little bit hard, strike the floor a little bit hard and run that little bit hard and really use mental mental grit to get through. And that's sort of it. But some days you, you hear of athletes going like, oh, it just clicked and it was perfect. And that right. was it. And that's them being perfectly present. So just by doing that practice and performing those practices, you just open the door for it being a... A, a, a experience that happens so an experience that you can hope to happen more often and it's not a coincidence it really isn't a coincidence it's the same thing if you look at any professional cricketer that I've known that's trained at this really intense level it's not luck when it comes off in a game like whether it's 
Ben Stokes in the World Cup final, Ben Stokes in at Headingley in 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 um, in in the Ashes. It's not a coincidence because there was so much media around how hard he had worked at the time. Right. Like he had come out, and I think every interview I ever heard him talk leading up to those matches was about how much he put into his fitness and how much he had really knuckled down into his training, so, and that just translated into the arena. So it really is focus if, if this is an issue for you as a person and you're struggling to you're struggling with distraction nerves and and your mind is taking control it sounds like you just need to strengthen your mind it sounds like you just need to harness that energy and 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 really focus on it being another form of your training because the skills they're fine they'll come and go and you can improve them but it's just probably the one little bit that may not you may not be focusing on to to unlock the next level for yourself I, I kind of I briefly want to go back into your career, you know, when you were playing with uh, top class cricket with Sussex for six years, mm. because you kind of briefly mentioned about how you deal with people's expectations or how they may see you. Now, obviously, when you joined, um, you may have or you may not have. That'll be interesting to learn. Uh, did your coaches and teammates treat you any differently because of your diagnosis? Did you let that ever, you know, affect you in any way? Yeah. So I kind of go back to the story I was telling. And, and just after I got injured, when I, I got this first back fracture, I made that decision to become super fit. But what it also taught me and allowed me to, <clears throat> to learn was this hard work and ultimately persistence, resilience that of really putting in and being uncomfortable uh, and grinding out hard work in moments when I really didn't want to do it. Because in that two year period, I was sacrificing even more when my, I was getting older, like I was 18 years old, when my friends were out partying, I was training. When people were going away on holidays with my friends, I was back in the UK in, in sort of the pain cave that was the, the gym and really working on my physical work or out in the nets and improving that. But what that also showed people was like how much I wanted it and it showed that I was this type of personality and driven so that sort of fast forwarding two more years when my opportunity came to become a pro and I've leapfrogged everyone that I was chasing and all of those dreams and wishes that I possibly could have wanted had come they were already seeing me as this sort of hard-working character that they could genuinely trust and that's what I, I really felt proud about. I was proud that I was seen as a brave individual. I was proud that if, if, you were, if we were going to be in a running race, you would literally have to drag me off in order to, to not lose. Like you would I, I, was so, I was so hell-bent on showing everyone else that I was at their level and not below them, whether that be through physical, technical. I would, you, you could break bones. You could really hurt me. Um, but I just wouldn't stop until I'd made, I'd really got there. And I think after all of that happened, by the time I then signed my contract, like people, I don't know whether they individual, I can't speak for each individuals, but they definitely would have seen me in a certain light and really um, recognize what I'd accomplished. It's quite funny now, like I speak to, I've seen and spoken to um, other guys that I played with and, and they're a little bit older now. They were obviously everyone was in their twenties when we were getting signed and, and now they're they're in their thirties and they're actually got this perspective look on on the game and they're like, wow, Lewis actually did achieve something that is kind of crazy. So, in the moment, I was I was also a very different person now. I'm quite an open book and I'm very open and vulnerable in my emotions and how I talk about things. I, I think, and there was none of that when I was younger. I was really hardened. I, if you came at me, I went back at you. Um, I was really protective of my condition and I fought for it and things like that. So if there's anyone really who wanted to make fun of it or anything like that, it was, it was against their better judgment at the time because I would come after them. Um, right. And, and, and I think the people knew that about me. And then when they saw that and also how hard I worked and also maybe they didn't want to bring it up because there was no need, Like there was, I didn't give anyone a reason to bring it up. Um, I remember some of my pros, um, some of my pro teammates seeing it in the changing rooms, like, because you can obviously see it when physically, and they're like, what the hell's that? I remember Joffre Archer when I first met Joff. Joff, like, Joffre couldn't stop staring, like, and he, and he was like, what is that? Like, and then I just told him, and he was like, but, but he's like, oh, okay. And then, and yeah. everyone else is the same. Like, they just, they don't 
really at the end of the day they don't really care because everyone's got their own issues but um as long as i didn't drag the team down then that's the that's the best outcome and i, and I don't think i did right that. and i ask that because i feel that people can use things like that like medical diagnosis or any other obstacles that they have crossed um, they can let it define them and use that mm -hmm. almost as a crutch and it doesn't sound like you you know let that define you in fact you didn't want that to be what you were known for oh look at that he's the cricketer with the you know the missing pectoral muscle or whatever like that mm. you wanted to prove yourself that you belonged with everyone and you were even better than most of them um and, and i feel like that's a lot of athletes uh still have that right like you know a lot of them have some kind of medical ailments or conditions which impact them and it can be convenient to fall back on it especially if they don't want to or cannot push through that so so how do how do you advise especially cricketers with challenges that go beyond just you know cricketing skills yeah i think you said it really well like not allowing it to define you and i i've now done a lot of work post career on myself so once i thought again in my career i ended up retiring at 26 and fell out of the game very quickly and that was a tough moment for me i was fortunate enough to then sort of go on this I guess, without it sounding too much like a postcard, like this journey of self-discovery. So I was really did some internal work, really delved into um, my yoga, mindfulness, meditation practice that allowed me to look inside a bit. But I also think that my condition had allowed me to be quite an inquisitive person and curious and very open-minded about things. And looking back now and, and through the work that I'm doing with athletes at the moment, which is a lot of it's built off not only what I know, and what I can teach, but what I've experienced. And I think I was so, I was, I was driven as a young person through, I just remember watching like Adidas, Impossible is Nothing adverts and real inspirational stories of other people who had overcome adversities. And I just think about, I wasn't watching those stories for the things and what they were doing. I was watching it for the values that they were upholding and the people that they were. And I was really looking into like, can I replicate that? Because I can't be a, um, I can't be a world-class rugby player. I'm not going to be those things. That's not where I'm aiming my energy, but what can I take from those people? What can I see in the way they do things that are, are commonalities across these extremely um, resilient and, and hardworking and, and very, very inspirational people. And I think, I didn't do it consciously. I just did it all the time. That was almost on repeat where I would just soak up all this energy. And I was really keen on being a role model and inspiring people. But I can say that now very reflectively. I didn't go around as a young person going, I'm going to inspire you. I'm going to be your role model. I just, I knew that was something that, that lit me up. So that was what I wanted to, to do. And, and again, I was, I'm very value driven. Like I'm very, um, I'm very optimistic about my own values. So I, I constantly try to uphold my values um, for myself, like of myself. And that is some of the work I do now with athletes because a lot of people get caught up in focusing on what they are and that right. allowing them to define them. Whereas really you want to be who you are and allowing that to define you. And again, my process is looking at who you are as a person. What are the things that light you up? then how do you want to be as an athlete? Like, what, how, what does that look like? And then what's the journey that you want to go on, the story that you want to tell? But if you haven't done this work on who you are as a person, then the athlete is going to be a little bit weaker and also not going to be, it's not going to hold up when that potentially moves to one side because what we do can change and whether that's in our roles within our jobs, roles within our, our sports, that can constantly change. But who we are, driven, persistent, honest, kind, peaceful like patient all of these things can be constant throughout your entire life and then right. that's what should define you that's 100 what should define you and we get caught up in trying to be more and do more through external validation and we forget about what's going on internally and that's where the that's where the the real power is that's where the real gold lives um and a lot of athletes get that mixed up because it, it seems to be that external 
valid. And yes, everyone wants to have external validation because you want to be recognized that you're doing a good job. But right. there's a difference between that defining who you are and and not having and then having this understanding of who you are. So that's that's where I think it's really, really important for for athletes now. So obviously you have thought through all of this and you are guiding, you know, young young athletes these days about, um, you know, how to handle adversities and, you know, uh, all of that. Uh, but I'm curious if you've always felt that way, because, you know, obviously you, uh, you retired at the age of 26 um, mm -hmm. because of medical advice. And I think it was uh, another back uh, injury. Yeah. So, so my, my back eventually went again. Um, right. I have this one vertebrae and it's tough to say, it, might, it probably is my condition and, and the imbalances in my body. So my left side being a lot more stronger than my right. So this left mm -hmm. side of my one of my vertebrae was basically constantly getting fractured micro fractured and like just quick science lesson like every time you fracture a bone it grows back stronger so mm. hopefully it doesn't fracture but the stress of bowling is just sucks on the body and the stress that was happening on this one part of the bone eventually with this huge bony growth that had happened where it was really really strong that cracked even more than it ever had and it was right it was when the surgeon said like, look, that's moving its way towards spinal cord and this shouldn't be happening, but it is, this is consistently happening. Um, and I just had to make the decision and through their advice, like this is not a case of if this is a case of when. Right. And, and that for me, like just not being able to use my body in the future, like I'm, I could say I'm up against it already with my body, but like I'm, I'm didn't want to be up against it any more than I already was. Um, and yeah, it's not, do you know what, Benny? It's nothing that's it's it's not easy. Like it's it's a process that I really never wish upon anyone, but I know it's going to happen in the future. Um, I struggle with it today, like because I'm fit and well. Like I'm genuinely fit and well. Like I play cricket on the weekends. I can just play the highest level of amateur cricket that we possibly can offer in here in England and in Australia. And and I can't get paid to play the game, but and I just watch games now over here in the UK, and I'm like geez I want to, I'm right in my prime like I'm bowling better than I ever have in in these in these games I'm bowling better now than yeah. what I was when I was a pro and I just want to jump over the fence and that's a lot of people tell me like you can't think like that you can't you shouldn't think like that but I'm knowing what I know I have to think like that I have to allow these thoughts to be there because if I try to hide them and suppress them I let them manifest in another way that's not going to be helpful for me it could be anger with my friends my family my girlfriend it could be anyone and that is unhelpful. So as long as I just go, do you know what? This sucks. And this is something that I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life. But as long as I talk about it, I make it real and I can, I can do that. Um, that's, that's how I, I see that whole um, experience for but me. When, but when you had to, you know, when you had, when you decided, okay, I have to retire now, I can't, you know, keep playing at, at this level anymore. Uh, you you mentioned that you know you went through this phase of an identity feeling like you've lost your identity yeah. and the spirit of uncertainty and how did you deal with it like in that immediate aftermath like what was that journey for you so, so it's a real it's a real dark place and i think every athlete's going to go through it whether you're a cricketer rugby player uh, olympic athlete anything because what happens is you identify your life with the thing that you do and for me, it was the question of what are you up to? Something so simple terrified me because I could not give an answer that I would like reel off straight away, which would be, oh, I've got this cricket match coming up. We've got training in three days. We've, we're traveling away here. We're, I've got this coming up and then I'm going to go away and play. Cricket. I literally would reel off like my next six month diary. Mm. Um, and I'm like, the answer to it was, I don't know. I just hope you don't ask me that question next because I don't really have an answer right now. And it's, and I think, and I, I actually count myself as one of the lucky ones because I probably had a little bit of an eye subconsciously on, on something else in the future and knew that I would go into something in the future. Um, but I was massively dealing with thoughts of what if, um, can I still do this? Can I, how can I make this situation better? Like I can still do this. Like this, this is not the end. And you're sticking with this perseverance of this attitude. Like I will, I will, I will. Um, and it just wasn't the case. So it's not a journey that I can give a roadmap to, to everyone. 
because everyone's journey into their sport is completely different and unique. But what I can say is just be open and vulnerable and, and honest with what you are thinking and verbalize it because just by saying the words, you make it real, you bring the awareness to how that's your thinking. And also sometimes you can self-coach yourself out of that situation just right. by talking about it. It's just a very powerful process. And it is down to the fact that that whole process, and this is hopefully where my work is, can have an impact, is that you wrap your identity around what you are. You wrap your identity around being this athlete. And that is not everything that you are as a person. You are more than just the athlete that you are. And that is what is valuable. That's what you can give to anything that you do in the world. And that's the thing that we should be focusing our energy on. That's the, 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 the pearl within the oyster. Like that's what we're looking for. And that's what we don't focus on at a very early age. We don't focus right. on, we don't celebrate those things. Sometimes we don't celebrate someone being honest, patient, vulnerable, driven. We celebrate the scores, the outcomes Right. Um, so that's what we then see as being the thing that we can only uphold our value to. Um, and, th and that's where change can happen if you, you switch that around. So let's talk about, you know, the work that you are doing. Um, I know that you have developed or started an app called Sport Yogi. Um, you know, obviously there is such a huge market now for fitness and mindfulness apps. So, so what is different about sport yogi? What is the goal uh, for you through this? Yeah. App? So this, this came out of my own frustration when I pretty much was still a pro and I was looking for yoga. And again, I mentioned this story in, um, in one of my podcasts with England bowling coach, John Lewis. And, um, and we, it was him as one of my teammates at the time. And one of my roommates that had said I was getting injured. Well, this is what I thought he was giving me the advice for. It turned out something different, but he was giving me the advice for, um, so I thought I was getting it. Well, I was getting injured all the time. I was getting like little muscle tears and tearing my hamstrings and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm very inflexible. I'm very strong, but I'm not very flexible. So John said, do yoga. Yoga is going to improve your flexibility. I won't try it. And I was like, look, I'm not a monk ready to join the ashram just yet. <laughs> so I'm not doing this right now. And he he said, well, look, just give it a go. Like it's going to be beneficial to you. Um, and X, Y, Z. So one day I went and just typed in yoga for athletes online and there was literally nothing. There was very little out there. Um, there was a couple of DVDs, which I ended up buying, but it was all some very fit yogi bendy fellow on a, on a <laughs> beach in Hawaii yeah. somewhere um, that was doing, running you through this very holistic process. And I, I gr grinned and bared it, but and I would hide in rooms to not show anyone that I was doing it. I remember going mm -hmm. to, to hotel rooms and uh, to hotels and checking in last and asking if they had a conference room that I could go and do yoga. I remember being in this conference room in Durham and I was in the pitch black doing my yoga and like <laughs> someone came in and like turned on the lights and <laughs> just gave this almighty fright. Um, but all of this was just, well eventually it had a massive impact I, I went from getting injured every three months with soft tissue injuries to not getting one in 18 months so i had a massive wow. change no change in training just a huge effect of like and obviously from a professional's point of view like i was performing more i was getting in front of coaches more my performance goes up because i'm resting recovering i'm getting better my essentially i'm getting more opportunities to play which then enhances my chances of getting a new contract so everything was get was rolling well and off simply spending 10 to 15 20 minutes on looking after my body but I also felt this connection with how my mind was feeling and I could recognize that meditation was never something that I wanted to get into I never wanted to be able to sit still I never wanted to be able to sit there with my thoughts I didn't really ultimately like myself so I didn't want to listen to what I had to say about myself and I I would never really sit down I was an athlete I wanted to move but yoga the movement the being able to stretch my body out then gave me a bit of a, a gateway to be able to open up to mindfulness and meditation and, um, and once I finished, once I finished playing again, I was still practicing and I was look, using it as a tool to heal my body from my injury. And it was a girlfriend at the time that said like, why don't you just go and train as a yoga teacher? Like, and I never really associate myself as a yogi because I was like that for me just gave the connotation of that. I was this again, super uber spiritual person. And I was like, no, nah, I'm an athlete. I'm with the boys. Like, this is not who I am. Yeah. And She's, she's like, well, go just become a teacher, like at least learn it. And I thought it's got a point. So I decided to 
travel all the way out to Hawaii and do this really immersive experience. I, I wanted to go to the very far end of that spiritual spectrum and, and engage with everything because I wanted to know about it. I wanted to breathe it. I wanted to just completely be a part of it. And it was a very spiritual experience and, and one that I will genuinely remember for the rest of my life. Um, and then I came back and was like, well, how can I, I want to talk to athletes, like athletes are who I want to be around. And that's where I want to take this. So I decided to make something. I, I had the idea in my mind and I was like, let's get an app. Let's try and build something like that. And over sort of two, two years, we managed to get to the point where we're at now where we've got an app and, and I'm basically teaching yoga, mindfulness and meditation, breathing techniques to, for athletes to use that in context that works for them. So we've got meditation and, and mindfulness practices around pre-competition nerves, like managing injury, dealing with injury or managing deselection. So all these elements that are unique experiences that might happen to athletes using mindfulness as a tool to train your mind, understand your mind, be aware of your mind. And if that's something you don't want to do, then there's yoga, there's movement. And there's that's the perfect doorway to start this, to actually become aware of your body, recognize where you feel that tension in your body, or even just use it as a tool to improve your flexibility and build a performance base of that. So that's where it's aimed at. It's, it's purely aimed at, at athletes that are willing to do it. And, and obviously, like you said, the, the market's quite big, like there's huge scope for where it could go. Um, and it's something that's very, very exciting. We're going through sort of like investment rounds at the moment, trying to see, seek investors in the, over the last few weeks. And um, that's something that I'm really, really excited about. And then on a personal level, my own personal brand and what I do is, is again, using all this stuff, but working on a on a one-to-one -one basis with athletes and figuring out who you are, what you want to do, where you want to go. Uh, and actually building out a journal at the moment. So building out a journal for, for athletes to go through this process in their own time. Uh, where it just asks you questions, exercises that you can do to discover more about yourself and also have a little bit of a Bible as to when things don't go so well. So yeah, there's a fair bit going on, but that, that was, it's all built out of my own frustration of, of, of something that wasn't there or, or feeling there was lacking on whether it's authenticity is maybe the right word of, of what it, what it could be. Um, but yeah, my, my goal is to just ultimately allow people to be confident in who they are so that they feel unafraid to fall and they have the skills to get back up. That's I can that's I you know, definitely see that adding a lot of value, uh, especially to players in the mo modern age, because like, you know, I mentioned earlier uh, before we started recording, you know, especially in the age of social media um, with all the extra pressure that pr probably cricketers or athletes of other generations did not have to factor in, mm. uh, which is why I was also, you know, very interested in your podcast, uh, raising your game with Lewis Hatchett and you cover a plethora of interesting topics and guests, especially mm. around uh, mental health. So could, could you talk, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, ultimately raising your game is just a, was a bit of a personal project and it was just me recognizing that I had a few contacts within sport and it's kind of grown into some, some deeper dived conversations uh, with athletes and, there are episodes where it's just me giving thoughts mm -hmm. on certain topics around being an athlete, but it is all about connecting your well-being and your performance. So recognizing that there's again more than just an athlete. There's someone that needs to be well in order for you to to be good. You need to feel good. So it's listening to the stories of athletes, where they've come from. Hopefully, there's there's stories there that people can resonate. Recognizing the hardships people have gone through. But then also how much of that has played a part on whether it's their mindset, their well-being, their mental health, and again, some episodes around how you can improve your own. So it might be breathing techniques, it might be using mindfulness meditation. And, and again, the whole process of all of this is breaking down barriers like sport yogi is designed to, to resonate with an athlete and sports people in a way that doesn't make it feel something that like it's been sold to in the past. And then again, with the podcast, it's just about having conversations around topics that are so often spoken about now. Like we, I mean, the Olympics, it's just such a good example. The Simone Biles, what happened in the Olympics with Simone Biles and Ben Stokes recently coming out and using, and, and using a time to heal his mental health. And it's, it's these people that are doing this sort of stuff and the stories that are behind them that are genuinely connecting that elite level with the everyday person 
and it's I just think it's so good and refreshing whether it's there's obviously going to be haters out there that believe that the harder you go the more you win the better you are but those people are more than likely the most insecure people in the world they're the problems much sometimes the people with the most issues themselves and or they're just doing it for clicks and clickbait but how good would it be for a young athlete right now to be sitting there listening to Ben Stokes and for him to be saying that I'm going through this and that being something so similar to what you're going through. Like, I can't imagine how good that would feel to have that connection to know like how I feel as a young athlete is okay. Like this guy that I love, he gets it. And, uh, and, and I draw back to my experiences. And when I was injured, I sought out stories of other athletes who had had to overcome some traumatic injuries to make it to the top. Because just through association of those stories, I felt better. I just felt better about myself and I felt better about what I was doing. And, and mental health is no different. We are just more aware of it. We live in a society where everything is designed to damage our mental health and really challenge it in many different ways that generations previously aren't aware of. And whether it's through the podcast, the stories of the athletes on there, or just anything that people see in the media, then we can take so much more inspiration from that because we're starting to resonate with it. We're connecting ourselves as people with those, those, those athletes and, and world-class yeah. athletes. It's, it's fascinating though, because so mental health challenges or any kind of adversities, these are not just unique to sports. They're not just unique to athletes, but we seem to have a higher expectation from them from athletes. Mm. Uh, obviously the visibility, um, of mental health awareness and people at least talking about it has increased. Of course, you mentioned Stokes and Simone Biles. Um, but of course there was also Naomi Osaka recently. And mm. I think Amelia Kerr, um, the New Zealand cricketer, all of whom are taking breaks and a lot of cricketers in the past years have cited that and taken breaks. And it just shows that it is, they're normalizing it, which is good. Mm. It, it's fine. If you had, a physical injury and you're taking time off to recover from it, why not from, you know, uh, to deal with your mental health and make sure you're in a good frame of mind. Um, I, I feel that that stigma is still so huge, especially in India. The, still the prevailing yeah. opinion is that, oh, this is not our problem. We don't have all these issues. We just suck it up and, you know, we just push through it. We're just stronger mentally. Uh, so this stigma is still so hard to break. Why? 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 <laughs> why do you think it's so hard to break? I, th I think it's a generational thing. I think it really is. Like the the biggest thing that I can think of is that generation. It's um, it's like my parents' generation, the generation before that, that have that will see it as an us and them sort of type discussion. Like you've got it. They may see the world that we live in and the fact that you can order something off Amazon tomorrow and get it to like to the day after or that day as well. Um, they see that as a beautiful world to live in. Yes, that is. However, they're probably not looking at it or giving time to the perspective of the individual and looking at what they're going through on a daily basis, the social media that's out there, the, the negative hate that's out there. And, and I think the people that are creating that stigma need to spend a, either try to put themselves in the shoes of the individual. And if it's an older person that perhaps has kids, the next time you catch yourself speaking negatively about the mental health of an athlete out there or this, or try almost falling into that stigma of what we're talking about and, and, and devaluing what these athletes are going through, just imagine if that was your own son or daughter. Just imagine what would you want people to be saying about them if they were going through that experience. Once you do that, it can change the way that that whole you even if it just puts a spanner in the wheel for a moment to make them stop and think about what they're saying and doing. And that's all it takes. It just takes a little moment to create that awareness. It could be that defining moment for them. And I I can't say why for globally, but I can say that I've seen Again, those those we, we spoke about the expectations of parents. Are those expectations built off factual information and genuine reality? Because sometimes it can take parents to to need to see reality first and ask pretty honest questions of whether it's their son or daughter 
Um, I've seen many parents that will, will, will genuinely think the world of their children and can't understand why they've not been selected, but they've not actually looked at it from cold, hard facts or data. And because again, sport is quite easily data driven, especially cricket. So, and, and cricket is such a unique sport as well, because it is so heavily dependent on your mental state. There's so many things in our game that are out of your control. That's what makes it a mentally draining game. And one which we really struggle with. And if we don't, again, have that understanding of what we can and can't control in cricket, then we're going to be up against it because it is it is a pandemic in itself. Cricket as a sport has a pandemic of people trying to control stuff they can't control, whether it's an umpire's decision, whether it hits the ball that's just moved off the pitch a little bit more than what it, it should have done. The ball swung a little bit more. The, the boundary's a little bit shorter on the left than it is on the right, and that, that, that fielder was just in or... He palmed it up and it went to another fielder. Whatever crazy thing that happens, we're trying to control stuff we can't control. And that drives us crazy. That just, yeah. <laughs> just ruins the game for us. So it's important to have a good, strong hold on what you can control as an individual. And then it allows everything to be much more of an adventure. And you can enjoy it a little bit more. And I really wish I knew all this stuff before I started. I really <laughs> do, because it would have made everything but so much more enjoyable. Right. But now you're using your experience to, you know, pass that on to, you know, mm. younger athletes who, again, in this age, they just have to deal with a lot more than just stuff on the pitch, you know, expectations and social media, dealing with like trolls on social media mm. or just dealing with mental health issues, you know, dealing with depression or just anxiety, all those things, um, so, you know, you, you're doing great work and, uh, you know, that is very much appreciated. Now, before we wrap it up, though, is there something that you wish younger athletes these days uh, or, or do you feel it's not highlighted enough uh, for younger athletes coming up these days that they should be more aware of when they're trying to break into like professional teams or like top class teams? You wish that it was you know, you wish you knew that before uh, when you were playing, is there something that you want younger athletes to be aware of or to just, you know, learn? Yeah. I, so I think there's, there's actually two things that I would give here. Okay. One is, is, is I'm going to break the rule a little bit. So one <laughs> is, um, one is finding your own way, recognizing that your way to get there is, is unique and there's so many different things in technique and it's really brilliant that you can see this in high level sport like there are so many different techniques that work boomer for india there was no way that people would look at boomer being as a bowler and being like that is a traditional bowler but right. hell it works do you know what i mean it's not the brettley-esque like perfect technical run up and everything that's going on it's this smorgasbord of things that are going on at, at mm. one time so knowing that how you do it it hasn't got to look perfect. It's just got to work. Like that's ultimately what it's, what it's got to be. So that's looking at the own unique way you do it. And, and again, once you've got your technical things, like the best way I would look at that is just looking at the result first and then work your way back. Like is the technique, am I hitting the ball along the floor for four or am I like, is, am I hitting it up in the air? Like, so, okay, if I'm doing that and I'm hitting up in the air, maybe I have to look at my technique. But if it, the result is looking okay, then work on your mind, like work on strengthening your mind and keep the technique going. Yes, work on new shots, new things or new balls, like keep going, but mentally strengthen. Um, and then the last one would be, don't compare yourself to anyone else. It's very easy for young people to, to look at other athletes and try and mimic what they do, make what you do super strong and then get people to mimic you in the future. Like there's, there's things that I took from many different athletes to get me to a certain level. But I think... I got caught up in some stages trying to do things like other athletes. Like there's no way I could bowl like um, here in Sussex, we have like Tamal Mills or Joffre Archer. Like I can't do those sort of things that those guys are doing. So I need to make what I do, find my own unique strengths and make those my super strength. Figure out that one thing that's got you in that team that makes you unique, makes you strong. Make, and then nail that down. Make that be your personality, the thing that you know. Don't try to focus on what everyone else is doing and try to mimic what they're and they're, they're already great at what they do they're the best at what they can do they're the best of themselves so be the best of yourself 
Well, that was well said. And uh, on that note, Lewis, I want to thank you again so much for your time and for coming on The Last Wicked to talk about your story and all the work that you do. Again, it's, it is very inspirational. And I really hope that, you know, through your app and through your podcast and just through the work that you do, you know, even in person with, uh, you know, younger athletes, younger sports persons, that they really learn um, how to handle life because, you know, mm. nobody really wants to have problems. You know, nobody wants to have adversities in life, but it's just, it's, it's just a fact of life that you are going to encounter it from mm. time to time. And it just comes in different formats. <laughs> so equipping young youngsters to handle with that is so, so important in any walk of life, but especially in the field of sports, which has its own unique set of demands and expectations attached to it. Uh, so thank you for all the work that you do. And, uh, you know, uh, thank you for coming on and talking to us about it. Pleasure. If anyone wants to reach out, um, I'm always available. And as much as we've spoken about social media, Instagram at Lewis Hatchet, I pretty much reply to 100% of my messages on there. And, and uh, if anyone's interested in the stuff that I've been talking about mindset, just lewishatchet.com, you'll find me, get in touch. I'm, I'm an open book. Sounds good. All right. Well, Lewis, thank you again so much for your time. And uh, well, uh, we hope to have you back again uh, another day. Pleasure. Look forward to it. Well, that's it for this episode of The Last Wicket. Thanks again to Lewis for joining us. And do check out our show notes for links to all his social media handles, as well as information about his podcast and Sport Yogi app. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this conversation, do rate and subscribe to this podcast to be notified of new episodes. Follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you for listening. And from all of us here at The Last Wicked, stay safe and stay healthy.